What's going on, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you guys so much for listening. Today, we are sitting down with Heidi Erickson. And Heidi Erickson is a certified therapist, licensed counselor, who specializes in helping women work through betrayal trauma. And I know that this podcast is not for women. I know that if you're listening to this, you're probably a man who maybe is looking to just get some recovery himself. And you're thinking, Sathya, why on earth would we need to listen to somebody like this? Well, um, sometimes, and this was actually even new for me when I kind of ventured out into the space, I thought, yeah, I'm going to help guys get free. It's going to be awesome. I didn't know anything about betrayal trauma. I had no idea that was a thing. You know, most of them, well, all of my struggle really happened while I was a single man. And so I didn't realize that betrayal trauma was so problematic and uh, just the, the different things that spouses go through when their partner has an addiction. And, um, and so what I wanted to do today is I wanted to bring somebody in who could give you and me an idea of what it looks like on the other side of the equation. Because sometimes we're so uh, consumed by our own situation, our own brokenness, our own addiction, that we forget there's other people, our loved ones, in this case our spouses, who are severely impacted. And if we don't have an understanding of that, we might not be as gracious as we need to be. We might not be as understanding. And we could end up making things way worse than they need to. So Heidi has a great uh, process. She's got some really good frameworks. There's actually some elements here that are going to help you, even if you don't have some of the discord that we're talking about in in a marriage There's just some good frameworks for building intimacy, for building safety, for good sexual, physical connection, all that kind of stuff. Uh, We cover the whole gamut, but I know you're going to learn a lot. And what I want you to do, guys, as you listen, is put on your empathy hat, okay? What we're trying to do is we're trying to understand the other side of this equation, the other side of the situation, so that we have have more uh, comprehensive understanding, so that we have more empathy, like I said, obviously, and so that ultimately we can not only recover from the addiction, but we can actually heal and restore our marriages back to a place of complete fulfillment, complete restoration, exactly as God designed. So, Everything is laid out for you in this interview. It's going to be a lot of fun. Without further ado, let's jump in my interview with Heidi Erickson. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. All right. Well, I'm here with Heidi Erickson, and I have been so looking forward to this interview, Heidi. Uh, You have an incredible practice that you do, and you focus on what's kind of the other side of the coin. You know, we're working with guys who are addicted to pornography pursuing recovery. Uh, Many of them are in relationships and married, and you are the one on the other side working with spouses. So we're going to have an incredible interview today, uh, but thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, and thank you for all the work that you do. It's very important. Yeah, yeah. So I think we'll just jump right in. Um, I gave a little bit of an intro so people know who you are. They know what you're doing, and I think it would be good to just start with um, just the whole concept of betrayal trauma. I, I I don't know how new the term is, but I know that certainly 15, 20 years ago, we weren't really hearing much about it. Uh, the research has definitely ramped up and and rightfully so, you know, this is this is a serious thing. I guess maybe just as a starting point, can you help help people who are listening who maybe maybe are like, what do you mean betrayal trauma? Like I'm the one with the problem, I have the addiction. Why is there like another like term or another condition that we're slapping on somebody else who's not even really addicted themselves. What exactly is betrayal trauma? Yeah. So I'll start out with trauma and my favorite definition of trauma. I don't remember where this is from. I've been quoting it for years is anything that overwhelms your ability to cope. Mm. That is trauma. That can be trauma. It can be a good thing. It can be a good thing. I had a, ba- I just had a baby. I'm on maternity leave right now. And that it it has overwhelmed my ability to cope at times, you know, where it's this beautiful, wonderful, amazing thing that I love. So my favorite definition of trauma, if we start out with just trauma, is anything that overwhelms your ability to cope. Okay. So this this can be 
really good things. This can be a move that you're, you're looking forward to move across the country. This can be having a new baby, getting married and not knowing what to expect. And, and you're overwhelmed and maybe mm. you don't have the coping skills or strategies that are specific to that new event in your life. And it yeah. can, can be sort of traumatic for you. So, so if you think of trauma in that really broad sense, and a lot of people with an addiction have some kind of trauma. Well, let's be honest. Most people have some kind of trauma. Yeah. Um, right. But then you're asking about betrayal trauma. So because this um, addiction to pornography and sex addiction has uh, become so prominent and has really come into the spotlight, um, the partner involved has a specific kind of trauma. Mm. Um, that is very, very specific to being betrayed, whether that is feeling betrayed to, um, digital devices and to the pictures on the screen or betrayal to, um, the a partner having an affair or multiple affairs sure. and things like that. So there, it's just, it has become so common, uh, that we have, we, I did not do this, but a, a specific term has been devoted to this because it's so prominent. So if you're experiencing betrayal trauma or if your wife is know that you and your coupleship is not alone at all. This yeah. is, this is big. Yeah. It's really Sorry, true. long answer. <laughs> no, no, no. It's really helpful though. And I think it's, um, it's a good point. Like, uh, that not, not every spouse necessarily feels betrayed. Right. And sometimes major things happen and the spouse doesn't have that super strong response. And sometimes little things happen and it's a big response from the spouse. Like there's no formula to this. There's a very individual component. Um, but I guess that one thing I wanted to ask is um, why, why betrayal? Like, and I, I, I realize how simple this question is, but um, why is it that there's a feeling of betrayal um, in the spouse when they find out that their husband's been watching pornography or or in affairs or or whatever. Why is it specifically betrayal? Okay, so I'll use the example of this this specific addiction being different than other addictions like drugs or alcohol. Mm. So when I've talked to women, that um, one woman one time even said, "Why not alcohol? Why not drugs?" <laughs> she doesn't really mean she wants her husband addicted to drugs or alcohol, but what she means is there is this element of betrayal against, um, she feels something directly in competition to her womanhood, her being a wife, her position as just who she is. Um, and this, again, there are betrayed male partners as well and, and things sure. of that nature, but, um, I, I'll usually use her as an example in, in, um, in this podcast. And so it's, I think what you were saying, it's directly in competition with who she is and, mm. Uh, as opposed to um, them choosing another way to spend their time or, or just addicted to to something that doesn't compete with their um, womanhood, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And that is a really good point. Like even um, there's obviously tons of other process addictions as well, like, you know, video games or gambling, but it's still, it's not as personal, right? To the other person, uh, to the spouse as something like this. So that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I know your practice, you are working, you know, pretty much all the time with people that are feeling betrayed. And what I was hoping we could do today is kind of give an overview of what it might look like if somebody's spouse were to come work with you. Uh, because I think, um, I think, you know, our listeners, they, they understand what their side of it looks like. We talk about recovery all the time. We talk about the things to be doing, the things not to be doing. And granted, not everybody has a spouse that would even be willing to go down the path of getting help for their betrayal trauma. But I think it would just be insightful for what the other side of this equation might look like, um, because it's not as simple as the spouse just saying, OK, I forgive you and let's move on now that you're well. Uh, there's a there's a whole nother side of recovery for uh, for the partner. And, and that's what I wanted to go into. So uh, one of the things that that you were telling me uh, when we did our pre-interview is that it takes time to offload when clients are in crisis. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. Yes. Yeah, so oftentimes when uh, a person contacts me being um, a partner of a sex or porn addict, they have so much to say. They have so much to offload. As you said, they are really in the midst of a trauma hmm. and they, um, they need to help processing right now. What's happening right now. 
So it's not a time to ask about their their upbringing or their yes it's very very important but what is happening right now they need they need help taking the step forward immediately okay. so we talk a lot about um what they're seeing you know what what behavior how um what their let's say husband's behaviors are right now how how that feels to them right in the moment um versus getting into her work so knowing for, for your clients, let's say, and people listening to the podcast that um, they need to have a lot of grace for, for this partner hmm. um, because maybe she just found out. Maybe she's in complete shock. Right. And I mean, when you think of shock, if you call, come up to a car accident and it looks very, very bad, uh, people are going to react in different ways. Some people are going to go into go mode and know how to do CPR and call 911. Some people are going to stand there and just be in complete shock. Right. And those kinds of reactions are very similar when somebody is in a marriage or in a relationship of any kind. And all of a sudden they realize they're not the only woman in the picture. Hmm. And they go through a lot of different um, uh, shock or people, people experience it and display all kinds of behaviors, all kinds of reactions. So a lot of grace there. Um, but I think to your point, I'm getting on a rabbit trail here, but to That's your, right. to your question, um, I, I have to meet them right there. So as I described, it's all people come in looking all different and I meet them where they are. If they're ready, if they're calm, I can say, okay, so tell me, just give me some background. How did you grow up? What's your birth order? What's your, are your parents, were they divorced? Were they, you know, we'll go through those kinds of things. Sure. But more often than not, we're talking about what's happening in your day-to-day -day life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we get to the other stuff later once they're a little more stable, if you will. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Cause obviously it's, um, if they've come to you, they've, they've obviously probably encountered it recently or there is some sort of crisis. And so it makes sense that they probably need to offload that before you can get to some of the more, uh, systemic elements of it. Um, right. one of the things that, that guys will ask us very often is, okay, how much do I have to tell my spouse or should I tell my spouse? And, uh, you and I were talking about how obviously on the spouse's side, of course, like once the, the news breaks, like you're talking about, like usually there's the fight, flight, freeze kind of responses. But once mm -hmm. that has sort of simmered down, I imagine on the woman's side, there's probably a pile of questions that come up and this desire for disclosure and, and to know all the ins and outs. What do you suggest for your clients when they're maybe starting to wonder about some of the more finer details of their husband's situation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good question. So this is, you have to approach very tenderly um, because she's going to feel justified to ask all these questions and get all these answers. Right. And, and, and I think she is, she is justified in that, but what's best for, for the two of you is not right now. Neither mm -hmm. of you are ready. You want to honor the process and take the time that's needed. So the best thing that you can do is reach out to professionals for each of you. Um, number one, you can only control yourself and your decisions. So getting your own help in understanding the process and then gently, gently suggesting to your spouse, you know, I know you're going through a lot. It might be good for you to have a specialist to speak with as well. Yeah. Um, Cause sometimes the woman is reluctant or the partner is reluctant to get help because it's his problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> she, why does she need a therapist? You yeah. Know, that can, yeah. That can feel kind of bad. Like, hey, you need therapy. That can feel kind of bad. <laughs> yeah. So I say, be gentle with it. Um, so once each of you, you know, has has um, the help, the special help that you need, and not just any general therapist or coach, you're going to want a specific for sex and porn addiction. Um, but to answer specifically your question, that would be. Um, what I coach my clients to do is to not badger their spouse or, or partner, um, but to make a list of questions Yes, um, love and that. save that, save that for disclosure. Because if you, if you ask right now, number one, you, the partner are not ready. Uh, usually when I say partner, it's, I mean, the betrayed partner. Um, so yeah. I'm going to try to stop using partner for, <laughs> I'll just say husband for right now. Yeah, sure, um, sure. Okay. So, so I, I have the partner, 
make a list of these questions and not ask now because it will hurt both of them. And one of the things that I tell her is that he has, he's in this addiction. It's probably been more than 10 years. It's, it's probably been a long time. It's coming out now. Um, He's not ready to be honest. Hmm. So do you want, do you want an answer or do you want the truth? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you want to just feel better right now? Or, and you want to figure out it was a lie later on? Probably not. That's going to hurt worse. That's a really good point. So honoring the process and really just honoring yourself and having that respect for, for yourself. It's very, very hard. I am so empathetic when I, when I tell people this, I'm like, I know how hard it is. If you can just call your girlfriend and say, whatever you need to on the phone and then get out your journal and make that list, make that list. And, and, and let's hold those questions. Cause you're not going to get what you want right now. It's, it's number one, it might not be the truth. Number two, it's not going to be spoken so sensitively. Right. And a lot of times when we get in, this is getting into something else, but when, when somebody's in real recovery, they do get more sensitive. They do get more attuned, which is yeah. amazing. And that's going to feel so much better to have your answers when your when your husband is attuned and connected and can tell the truth doesn't that sound better oh yeah that makes perfect sense so i do have a follow-up question which is what do you do like because i I guess i'm just imagining okay let's say the the husband and the wife they agree they're going to go get their help and the wife starts to have some questions so the, the therapist is talking her through this and is saying hey write your questions down you'll get a chance to ask them when the time comes meanwhile he's doing his part um, but then I can just imagine, you know, let's say maybe one day uh, she leaves the house for a couple hours. He's at home. She's away and she's thinking, wait, was that a mistake to leave him at home? You know, the thoughts start to kind of grace a little bit. And then she comes back and she just can't help but control herself. And she starts asking questions. What can the guy do in those moments to like respectfully, I guess, decline, you know, and and make sure that um, that it doesn't come across as like he's hiding something, which maybe he could be accused of in that moment. But that it's like, no, this is part of what we agreed to. This is facilitating the process. It'll be worth it to wait. Like any tips for a guy to respond to a spouse in a moment like that? Yeah. So I'm really glad you asked that question because the, the, the list of questions is primarily the past. Primarily the past. Okay. So, you know, what happened at the Christmas party in 2012 when you were looking at that lady? You know, they'd have these visual memories in their head that they really want specific answers to. Yeah. So. Um, the right now what's happening. So, oh, I left and all of a sudden now I'm super anxious and did, did he act out? So very, very early, it's just, it's it's very hard. She's going to ask, he's going to probably respond in a way that's not the best. It's going to happen. Um, but when you're just creeping into that early recovery, what I, what I would hope is that, um, he's going to get to a place where he has a sobriety plan and, she's going to know his sobriety date. And so then they're going to have a plan in place where um, maybe she does come home and she says, Oh my gosh, I'm so scared. Was I, was I wrong to, to um, leave you alone for three hours? And she actually could ask that. And, and I would want him to respond honestly, you know, what happened, what happened in those three hours? You know, I don't want what, what usually happens is he, if he acts out, he lies right then. She comes home and he does lie. Right. So, so here's what I would say. Okay. So the question, the list of questions is for the past, but okay. for right now, um, the best thing she can do is n- again, not ask, but no. And we'll get to this. I know we chatted about this um, previously, but have check-ins. Yes. So if she can wait until just that night or wait a week. She probably can't wait a week. You should probably have a check-in every, <laughs> a little more often than once a week. Sure. Um, because once he has his sobriety date, then he can say, and he can initiate and say, you know what? I have to come clean. I acted out um, with pornography while you were gone for three hours on Monday. Um, okay. And he comes clean about that. So we're getting clean about not the whole history because disclosure hasn't happened but we yeah. have a sobriety date and we're staying clean from that date forward. Does that make sense? Really helpful. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we cleared okay. that up. So it, so it sounds like any questions she has about the past, like leading up to the discovery of the issue, those things go kind of get written down, but anything beyond that then, it's about really establishing that transparency 
on an ongoing basis. And you did allude to it, and I really wanted to ask you about it because it's probably one of my favorite things I learned from our discussion together, which was the weekly check-in, and you have a, a neat little kind of framework to just make sure that those those check-ins uh, accomplish what they should accomplish because I imagine they could get derailed pretty easily. So can you talk a little bit about setting up those check-ins and what they should look like when they're taking place? Yes. So this is straight from the CSAT training. If you guys know that term, CSAT, Certified Sex Addiction Therapist training. Yes. And the acronym is FANOS with an F. So F is in Frank, A-N-O-S. And now it stands for feelings, affirmations or acknowledgments, needs, O is for own, and S is sobriety. Um, So when you do a check-in, one person goes through their whole Thanos. So let's say I feel anxious about my meeting tomorrow and, you know, excited about our plans this weekend. You know, so feeling words, F is feeling words. You could see how that could go on a while or you could zip right through it. You know, you could, so I tell people, you know, let's, Get a habit of this. Don't stress out that it has to be super long, but sometimes uh, a larger discussion does come out of it. So A, either acknowledgement, like I, I just want to thank you for helping out um, helping out this week when you knew I had a stressful week and you really did a lot around the house. And thank you so much for that. So acknowledgement or affirmation, just a, a simple affirmation of their character and who they are, um, just to kind of connect. And um, so that's the A. The N is needs. So I give my clients a a feelings list and a needs list because sometimes you're so overwhelmed that you just can't really think about it. And honestly, most people, (laughs) I have a lot of very intelligent clients that just, it's just very hard to, we we just don't talk like that. We we don't, we don't really identify our feelings so much. So I give them a needs list, but it might be, I need some, I need some space. I need some time alone. Or it might be, I really need some time to connect. I really want to have a date night. I need that. Um, those are just examples of some needs. Yeah. So getting into the O for own is, um, you know, you can think of something that you need to own. Hey, you know, I really, I respond. I didn't like how I responded to you yesterday. I just want to own that. Um, if I could redo it, I would. And this is how I'm upset. Um, I just want to own my behavior. Okay. So that's the O and then the S is sobriety. So this is kind of what I was pointing to in your um, previous question, where this is the opportunity where I'm just going to say the guy, there are plenty of female addicts, um, but, or, or just say the addict, but some people don't like that label either. So I'm like, what do I say here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But we we know what you mean. Yeah. The person who's obviously, you know, struggling, the person with the the addiction. Right, right, right. So that person, um, it's their opportunity to come clean with sobriety. So they say, they can say, Hey, my sobriety date is still, um, October 1st. Um, you're still going strong with that. Um, or they say, you know what, you were right. I know you were so anxious on Monday when I was gone, when you were gone for three hours and you were right. Um, I want to own that. So that is a time. And what I really want to point out here is that that S that sobriety check-in, um, where, you want to get into the pattern. It's very, very hard, but where the wife isn't doing the asking where the husband, let's say is doing the telling. Mm. So she doesn't have to ask. He is honest on his own. He doesn't have to be prompted to be honest. Yeah. Okay. That's really good. So a question just about the logistics of this, the, the FANOS acronym, which I think is just uh, unbelievably helpful. Is it like, are they, are they both going back and forth through each letter or does one of them go through Thanos and the other listens and then they reverse? What does that actually look like logistically? Yeah. So usually, so I send people a handout of active listening. So one person goes through their, their Thanos. Um, and what I like to have is the person doing the Thanos is, is saying, you know, I feel excited about our weekend and, you know, saying things like that. And then the, the listener then says, um, you know, practicing active listening. So they'll say, Oh, it sounds like you're, you know, you are anxious about that meeting tomorrow, but I heard that you're excited about this weekend. And it sounds so silly. Like you're repeating what they say, but (laughs) we all, it's, it's amazing how much we as people just need to be trained in listening. Yeah. A lot of times we're thinking about what we want to say, you know? Yeah. 
to, to fully answer that question, the one person goes through it, but it's not just a monologue. It is a dialogue, right. but it is that listener is actively listening. And so repeating some things back, maybe asking some clarifying questions as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. That, that, no, yeah. that makes perfect sense. What uh, And what I really want the audience to hear, um, especially the guys who are listening, is uh, one of the mistakes that we've seen people make is you know, so they, they finally come clean or, or maybe they got caught, but they've made a decision in their heart like, okay, I'm going to come clean. And every time they have a conversation, they jump straight to S. Like it's just like, were you sober or were you not? And um, what we often tell our people is like, that's actually not fair to your spouse, even though, of course, that's probably information she would like to know. You're not giving her a very clear picture of recovery. You're just you're just answering one, you know, one part of the puzzle, I guess. Um, and so what I love is this is like really like good for intimacy building, establishing a connection, getting insights into each other's worlds. You're talking about feelings, affirmations, needs, things they need to own. And then, of course, you're still getting to the sobriety piece. But um, I just like that there's so many other elements to that. So this is really, really helpful. Um, and and w- would you agree, Heidi, that like it is important that they that they see the work, like that the spouse is not just hearing, yeah, I messed up again, or no, I didn't, but there's, there's value to them getting like a more comprehensive picture. Absolutely. That is so important, especially as I describe these partners that I get right off the bat, they are just clinging to every string of, or to any just string of the relationship that they have. Um, They think, you know, it just feels like it's exploding in front of their eyes. So it's very important as you guys, I'm speaking to those, those listeners, um, as you are getting into your recovery process, include her, include her in your process. This is so big for the safety that she needs. Number one right now, she needs safety. She doesn't need to do her work right now. She needs to get safe. Mm. Okay. And so one of those things is including her in your recovery. So saying, um, saying, I'm, you know, I'm I'm just letting you know, I'm attending one meeting a week. I'm listening to this podcast every day. It's amazing how the content comes out so frequently. (laughs) Um, So you guys have something to, to grab onto every day. And I think that was your goal um, in doing that, Sophia. So that's awesome. Um, But, but letting her know, I'm listening to a podcast every day. I'm going to a group once a week and I have solidified a specialized coach or therapist every week that I'm seeing. And we have a plan letting her know that like, Hey, I didn't miss my appointment. I'm, I'm going weekly or you know what? I did have to reschedule. So we missed a week. Let her know that. Don't think, Oh, I hope she doesn't ask if I went cause I had to reschedule. <laughs> Don't yeah. let that happen. Tell her, tell her. Right. Um, so letting her into, to your recovery is, is really, really big. Um, let her know yeah. what you're working on and what, maybe what topic some, uh, one excuse that I get from people sometimes is, well, it's anonymous. My group is anonymous. I can't share anything. Well, you can, <laughs> you can, you can share, you don't share any names. You don't share where they live or anything like that, but you can say, Hey, this guy had a share and it was amazing. It really um, inspired me in this way. Or yeah. this guy had a rea- gave me a reality check this week. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah, still be anonymous. Really yeah. 100%. 100%. I, I really like that. Um, and the other thing that you've said, I've heard you kind of say it twice now, just two different ways, but it really is important that the guy is taking leadership in this part that he's not waiting to be asked. Um, and that's like, like you said, like fingers crossed, maybe she won't ask me this week, but that the guy is really taking the initiative, not just because it's the right thing to do, not just because you're the one who messed up, but because this is actually part of like rebuilding trust is showing that you're taking this seriously. And that she's not going to have to interrogate you to get the truth out of you, but that you're actually going to voluntarily just go after these endeavors that really build the relationship back. So I, I love that, Heidi. Um, you told me the take out the trash story, and uh, and I think this would be a great place for you to mention it. Okay. Okay. Yes. Um, so if if somebody wrote this book and they're listening, let us know, because I can't remember where this story came from, but it is okay. a true story of a, a CSAT therapist client um who they were in really good recovery he had a lot of sobriety things were looking very very good then the wife one day says hey did you take up the trash you know put it put it on the curb and he said yeah yeah i did well okay she says okay great and going about her business 
she's walking through the house and sees out of the corner of her eye, out the window, he's running the trash to the curb. <laughs> he, he had not taken out the trash yet, um, but he didn't want to say it. And she, that was an example of a, you know, let's say a white lie, a little lie. Of course, he thinks it doesn't matter. People think those don't matter. To her, it mattered exponentially. Mm. They, they had dedicated their life to rebuilding trust and sobriety. And she thinks if I can't trust him to tell me the truth, if he has taken out the trash yet in the little things, how am I going to trust him in the big things with our, you know, with, with the fidelity of our relationship? Wow. And, and because of that, oh, I'm sorry. Then the, the punchline is they divorced over that. Right. Right. Uh, So so these things matter. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, that, and that's what I was going to say is like, um, even just little things like taking ownership or taking initiative with this Thanos conversation, the weekly check-in, um, all of those little things matter, right? And I think when mm-hmm. when you experience betrayal, uh, everything becomes really tender, like really fragile. And yes. you know, it, it'd be easy to hear that story and be like, "Oh, well, that that woman's crazy. Like, she should. Why, right. why would she ever do that?" But it's like, no, these all of these little things matter, um, yeah. and those are what gives her the confidence that maybe she could actually trust with the big things one day. So, uh, right. I love that story, and I just thought it, it really drove home what what we're saying here. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you about boundaries uh, because this mm-hmm. becomes a really important subject. Uh, we've already talked about it a little bit, I suppose, as far as the boundaries of sharing, what to share, what not to share. Um, and you mentioned that, you know, there's kind of a list that's being built on your client's side of questions that they might have about the past when they reach that place where they're ready to disclose, which I, I want to ask you about. But um, one question we get asked a lot is about physical intimacy. So, you know, when is it appropriate to have sex or not to have sex? Um, and I, we've heard a little bit of everything. You know, we have some people who say uh, that, you know, when you go through this process, don't have sex for 90 days, get your time apart, let your brains reset a little bit, let the safety come back in the relationship relationship apart from, you know, physical interaction Mm -hmm. and then come back together. We've had other people who say, you know, it really depends on uh, where each other's at and if they feel, you know, safe and happy to do so by all means. Um, Otherwise, you know, you kind of play by ear and you gauge where each other are at. Uh, But I know you had a a little framework there that I really liked as well. So I'm wondering if you can maybe just speak to the audience on that Mm -hmm. front, just to what they could expect in the arena of physical intimacy while they go through this process. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I really like the, um, the celibacy contract or the 90 days. Um, I really like that. I don't, I don't require my clients to participate in that. I, some therapists do, they say, this is my plan. This is how I do it. And I respect that because there is, there's reason there is, um, I, you know, there's science behind that rewiring the brain. Um, so it's really, really good. So, um, if, but some clients I have like, Hey, why don't you try, why don't you try three weeks? Why don't you try a month? Why don't you, you know, and, and so some people get like a mini reset that way. Mm. Um, some people may argue with me and say, your brain's not reset, but it, there's a little bit of a clearing. I think that, um, I have seen clients benefit from a month from 30 days of okay. abstaining. Um, so I, I, I suggested, or I, um, mention it as, Hey, this is, this is helpful for a lot of people. Uh, and see what they think and see where the coupleship is. Um, and yes, the point of that is just to kind of have a brain reset um, and then restart your intimacy and re- kind of recreate what your intimacy is like. And then I have a, a handout I give them about um, how to kind of build back intimacy slowly, mm. um, sensate focus, if anybody's heard of that, but just starting with um, just loving touch, you know, not jumping right back into um, full on intercourse, you know? Um, So that can be really helpful for people. And then I think what you were wanting to get at was the thing that I don't compromise on. And what I say is I want people to, I I say, I don't suggest having sex unless you feel safe, loved and connected. Yes. Love that. Yeah. So I, I think that just should go um, throughout the whole relationship, no matter what, you know, whether there's addiction, whether there's not, um, yeah, that should true. be, you know, that um, we should go by that. But so I, I, I say that um, emphatically, and then I, I suggest the 30 or 60 or 90 days, um, depending on the relationship and what their history is and their comfort levels and things. 
I love that. So um, the safety thing is is huge. Like my my wife has been recovering from complex PTSD for a few years now, and we've really learned the value of safety. And the the I should clarify the trauma was related to something else, not my addiction. I was uh, recovered by the time I met her. Um, okay. But the whole concept of safety comes up again and again and again. And I've certainly caught myself in moments where I'm like, how is safety still an issue? Like, you know, because for me, I'm still like grappling what it's like to be on her side, you know, but it really it like when I when I get a, a better understanding of where she's at and when she's where she's coming from, I'm like, oh, I just I'm still understanding the magnitude of safety and, and the role it plays in all of this. And what I wanted to ask you, Heidi, is um, let, let's assume the message has at least got across that the guys are hearing this and they're saying, okay, I know that I need to make sure my wife feels safe. Yes, in the context of physical intimacy, but really just in restoring the relationship, I need to make sure that I am creating safety in the environment for her. What are some things that the guy can do to build safety in the relationship? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the check-ins that we said, the Thanos check-ins, um, is going to help a lot okay. because um, a lot of times what I see is is my clients haven't. I mean, life is busy, right? And whether you have whether you have kids, whether you have just um, demanding jobs, life is is busy, and a lot of people kind of lose that getting to know each other and that really leaning into one another and checking in. Like, how 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 are you? How does your heart feel? How's your how? you know, just really the, the feeling words, like the list of feeling words that I give people. So check-ins help a lot. Um, people, I, I just can't emphasize how much uh, my clients have said that it can be life-changing, even just doing feelings and needs. It's a shorter, mm -hmm. quicker, shorter that I say, hey, bare minimum feelings and needs um, right. is a good connection thing. Uh, I have one client that she went to see her in-laws and she said, we were doing feelings and needs 10 times a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's one thing that helps with safety um, okay. because then the wife feels like, Hey, I have a pulse on his brain. I know what, what he's going through right now. I know what he's anxious about. I know what he's excited about. I know what he's angry about, I know who he's angry at. And she just feels like she knows him more. And yeah. That really helps. Then time and consistency, of course, you've probably emphasized that in other podcasts, but time and consistency, it does take time and it must be consistent mm. um, with this safety. As you mentioned, you know, PTSD and things, just one outlier, one like one white lie, that trash story yeah. um, that sabotages it. Yeah. So I do, I do see um, the addict side as well. And sometimes they'll say, well, I, I've done all these months and then I do this one thing or this one slip and she's like back to square one. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, she is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> because it, it just, um, when you're coming from a place of trauma or potentially PTSD, um, it, that consistency really matters. The time really matters. And then, um, I think when we talked before I mentioned, yeah, or earlier we were talking about openness about recovery um, telling what, what are you reading? What are you listening to? Who are you talking to? That really helps her letting, letting her in on your recovery really, really helps that safety. Okay. Too. Really good. Really good. Yeah. And, um, and I know you'd given a good framework earlier as well for even just the active listening component. And obviously that's bi-directional, right? Like important yeah. for the betrayed partner to be listening, um, yeah. when you're going through Thanos. But likewise, I think it's one of the greatest gifts that somebody in recovery can give to their betrayed spouse is just developing that attunement and that responsiveness to her uh, really goes a long way for the safety part. That'd be fair to say. Absolutely. Yes. And I have seen, I have seen clients talk about how, how much more engaged their, um, their partner in recovery is so much more engaged than they ever have been ever, yes. you know, before when they were dating, um, how much more responsive they are, how much, and how th that's going to make you feel safe when somebody's really knows what's going on with you. They're really engaged. They're responsive to your needs. Yeah. That just feels safe. That feels good. It's going to be more of an enjoyable relationship. Yeah. Okay. Love that. So uh, one question I guess I have now, now that I'm thinking about it a bit more. So the, 
the husband and wife, they've started on their their unique paths, I guess, through this kind of healing recovery journey. Mm -hmm. She has all these questions that she wants to ask, but let's assume like the boundary has been respected. At what point do they then have the more formal disclosure conversation? Mm -hmm. So that's all going to depend <laughs> that uh, it's going to depend on the relationship. Um, as a therapist, I communicate with the other therapist and okay. I talk about hey, where are you in the process? You know, let's say I'm seeing the partner, which I, I, I do both, you know, and I see the coupleship sometimes, not the same mix, but I, I see all three types of, of clients. Um, I would communicate with the other therapist, see where they are, you know, sometimes when um, somebody's working on their disclosure, things, they've buried this stuff. You know, it's yeah. going to take time because they don't yeah. want to remember it. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, remember every single thing. Um, that's, that can be really difficult. So they do need time. Um, and I just respect whichever therapist, whether it's myself or the, um, other therapist working on that, you know, we just stay in communication about the time frame, and I do my best friend seeing the partner to say, Hey, I know this is so hard to wait, but it's going to be better if we do this at the right time. Mm. Um, and there, there have been a times when or there have been times, um, just a couple where we really put um, more pressure on the other therapist and, and the addict because she just can't wait any longer. And she's, okay. she maybe, maybe she's going to leave the relationship. Oh, uh, I see. Okay. You know, Got she it. just, well, I, I want to stop myself there. If divorce is on the table, we don't do disclosure. If divorce is on the table, you don't do disclosure. And what's the reason mm -hmm. for that? Yeah, I think it's because, um, it's just going to cause pain. Oh, two reasons. One, it can be used in divorce. Potentially. You don't want to just give ammo for, oh, for divorce. Yeah. And, and also if you're not going to be willing to go through this whole process, which is not, it does not stop a disclosure. There's then there's the impact letter that the yeah. partner writes yeah, where she has a voice, you know, yep. and then he, he does that letter of restitution, of restitution. third. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so that's a beautiful process. And it, um, there's reason for all those steps. So if you're just going to, you just want to hear and basically get traumatized further and then leave. Um, I'm not here for that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So there has to be a commitment on both sides of mm -hmm. we're going to see this through to the end um, mm -hmm. and try to try everything we can to make the marriage work basically. So really helpful though. So, so basically you and the therapist are going to work together to both evaluate when it's time to to take for that disclosure to take place because obviously it's a bit of an intense conversation on both sides mm -hmm. of it um and then we, we we haven't really gotten into it and maybe you can just touch on it really briefly um because like you said disclosure is actually it's not the be all end all it's actually mm -hmm. the first of three things that take place uh then there's the impact letter then there's the letter of restitution so um, I think our our listener base would have an idea of what disclosure is. We've talked about that at okay. length on some other in some other interviews. Uh, not so much the impact letter and letter of restitution. I'm wondering if you can maybe touch on those a little bit. What are those? When do they take place? Yes. Okay. And I think I remembered what I was going to say is I want to say about three to six months for disclosure. Give them about three to six months to work ah, on that. Okay. Um, and it's a, when, when you start the timer, well, if they just get into therapy, I wouldn't quite start the timer then, but it's like working on, I would say when they're working on disclosure, probably about three months okay. um, typically. So, but sometimes they get in and they have a lot of trauma to process that allows them to open up about this. So that's why it's, it, it really varies person to person. So I did want to say that now yeah. you asked about the impact letters, the second step after disclosure that is where the the part the betrayed partner works with her therapist to talk about how you know she doesn't get a copy of the disclosure because you don't want to just have that to read over and over and over. That's not going to be a healthy thing to right. ruminate. Yeah. Um, so just kind of going from memory, she can ask questions um, for memory um, once that disclosure has happened. But then she has the opportunity to have her voice be heard and to say how this addiction, how this whole, um, you know, turning upside down of the relationship has impacted her, you know, how has it physically impacted her? She, you know, some people are throwing up, some people are shaking, some people are, you know, at, at different times when they find out and they get to share their, their process of when they discovered when they, um, how they felt what they experienced. So it's very empowering. I, I will tell you my 
clients, they don't like doing it. Um, they're like, Heidi, do I have to do this? You know, they, they don't like it when they, um, when they're done, they say, okay, okay. I see why you made me do this. Yeah, <laughs> this is yeah. really helpful. And then, and then, so there's the writing it, the processing it, um, and then the sharing it with, um, with their partner. That's quite powerful. Okay. It's also helpful. It's helpful. So it's number one, it's helpful for her, as I was saying, to process it, to really identify those feelings, that experience and get that out of, of kind of her body. Um, but also it's helpful for, for the person struggling with the addiction hmm. because they, it helps them, it helps them build empathy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when they hear her experience, you know, they've been thinking of it from their end and sometimes they're in a, a shame um, place, a place of shame a lot of times. And we like to try to get them out of shame and into empathy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that okay. second step helps both. Mm-hmm. And is, is she reading it to him or does she just give the letter? Is there a particular way that carries out? Yeah. So um, all these meetings, all, all of this three steps is going to be with the four people, with the two therapists and then the, the, the couple. Yeah. Okay. So in this situation, there'd be four people in the room. She would be reading it aloud to her um, spouse, to her husband and um, the two therapists would be there um, so that we're all on the same page. We all know what she experienced. So his therapist knows what she experienced, you know, and then mm-hmm. I'm there for her support and um, just to get everybody on the same page. So it's a yep. very helpful process. And then the same goes for the um, the third step. The letter of restitution is his his response then to her impact letter. It's his okay. direct response to that. Yes. Okay. Got it. And is there a particular time length from when he receives the impact letter to where, when he writes and reads the letter of restitution? So, well, from disclosure to impact letter, I try to have it about six to eight weeks um, from disclosure to impact letter, just so that it's fresh. And so that she kind of has a bit of a deadline because it can feel so daunting to express all this because she think, you know, it's, it's so much I've had, I think, I think the longest, uh, a woman wrote was 12 pages, Wow! <laughs> but don't get scared. I've had, that, I've had two and three pages too. That sounds like Ross and Rachel from friends. Um, yeah, thinking of like yeah. the big dissertation she writes. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. So, uh, so I forgot why I was mentioning that now, but so that, um, and then, and then the length time. of time after mm-hmm. that to the letter of restitution. Okay, so that varies a little bit more, and I don't really know why. I think um, I I try to do the six to eight week thing, but it feels like I think they feel so much better after those first two steps. Um, They both kind of, she got to say her piece, and then it seems like those dates just sort of get kicked a little bit further into the future, but I'm always kind of bringing it back up. Hey, you know, we do have this step and reaching out to that therapist. Hey, when do you think? Uh, we can get this going. So it really, um, I would love to have each of them kind of like, let, let's say eight weeks apart. It, it's also going to depend on their, you know, it always depends on the the people. Um, but that that's kind of what I like to do. But for some reason, that letter of restitution ends up taking a little bit longer. Okay, got it. Now, this kind of ties into one another question I had, which is, um, do a little bit of, let's do a little bit of vision casting. So somebody let's say they've just embarked on this journey. Like the, the guy is just starting to meet with his therapist to get help. And the spouse is just starting to meet with you to work through the betrayal trauma. What is the, if, if this process goes, let, let's not talk in like super ideals, but let's just talk about like, if this process follows the standard course of action and they fall relatively within, you know, the normal range of the bell curve, how long does this process typically take where the marriage is at least stable, things are moving forward. And it's not to say they never talk about it again or whatever, but you know what I mean? Like where, where they reach that point where it's like, and maybe maybe uh, maybe the better way to ask it is where, where does it reach a point where you're like, okay, my work here is done and you guys mm-hmm. are, are gonna be good to continue forward on your own? Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, it's really, really, really hard to think a time, to say a time on that, yeah. um, as you can imagine. Um, you know, for some people, you know, that's why I say we want to make this disclosure when I encourage her to make her list and to not badger him with questions. 
I say we want this to be a full disclosure and we do that by respecting his process and writing it. Now there are times when he doesn't give a full disclosure, you know? Right. And, and that really ruptures that really further ruptures everything. So then we do a formal second disclosure sometimes. Um, and I, yeah, that's not, not what we want to do. That's not fun at all. Right. (laughs) um, does not set anybody up for success. Um, but it needs to happen then. Um, you know, if she is, and and honestly, some of them are out, um, by that time, maybe you had your chance with the disclosure and then there, you don't get that chance for a second, but I have had a couple of second disclosures. So, Oh my goodness. Now, what was your question? I mean, when when we tell people that they're starting on the recovery journey, we always give like a rough range of like two to five years. Um, We keep it super broad. So you don't have to give like a specific amount and even two to five. I mean, for some people it's shorter and for some people it's longer. Obviously we know that. Um, But I guess I was just curious if you had any, anything approximate and no, no worries if you don't. Yeah. It's hard to say, but I would say, you know, let's say three months of getting, kind of getting their feet wet into um, therapy, looking at history and trauma and things like that for, for him. Mm -hmm. Um, She's kind of still doing like the day to day, putting out fires. And then he's working, let's say three months on his disclosure. Then we do the three steps. So all that stuff kind of oftentimes will take a year um, to get through those three steps that's when I say, okay, let's add in couples therapy. If, if there's, if the relationship uh, feels okay. safe, yeah. if myself and the other therapist thinks, okay, he's not gaslighting her anymore. Um, then couples therapy is going to be, you know, a safer place. Um, yeah. or there have been times I've prescribed couples therapy a little bit early because I want him to call out the gaslighting. Cause I, I'm not able to do so. Sure. Um, but they, we add in couples and then maybe start to get into her history and, and trauma in that way. So it does depend on the person. So some people say, okay, we're, you know, we did the three steps. I'm, I want to be done. Let's say the, the partner, um, mm-hmm. not the um, one struggling with addiction. Cause that's going to be a lifelong, that's going to be a lifelong thing. Um, but for her, sometimes people aren't wanting to look at their history and, you know, this is voluntary. I'm not, um, I, I can't make people come to therapy. I can make a suggestion and say, Hey, it'd be great to, to dive into some of your history now, um, and take you through some of that and, um, uncover some things and insights that will help you in your relationship. But sometimes people don't want to, and then some people are really excited to get into their own stuff. Yeah. Um, so that gets into like the two to five year kind of thing. Yep. That makes perfect sense. And what is the, what's your favorite part about when, when you do feel like you've been able to, you know, go through this journey, um, to, you know, some degree of completion, uh, what, what's the, what's the best part about when you do kind of cross that finish line, Heidi? Yeah, I think it is seeing the transformed relationships and these marriages that are truly made new. Hmm. Yeah. It, something beautiful to see to witness it's just an honor to do that well and 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 i I, would add oh sorry go ahead sorry i was just gonna say i love that you said that they're made new because i think i think that is what's so beautiful about this process is it's not about restoring a relationship of old because the relationship of old was built on lies and mistrust and a lack of safety right so that that whole thing of making it new that makes perfect sense but sorry i didn't i didn't mean to cut you off continue oh that's okay yeah i was just gonna say that you know, it's really important to point out for for some of my partners, they are so discouraged that let's say they're in my women's group um, and some these people are working through the process and their husbands are getting sober. And then there are some, there's always some that, that don't, their husband does not choose sobriety. Um, mm. And, and they, you know, oftentimes walk away. That's usually the safer thing to do. If, you know, I, I like to say it's, it's not really safe to be with an addict that's out of recovery. That's not going to be a healthy relationship to be in. Mm. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to divorce them, but it does mean uh, therapeutic separation could be really um, positive for you or, you know, getting, getting, um, just being in the presence of, um, people who are healthy versus somebody who's potentially gaslighting you and lying to you uh, regularly. Yeah. It's not going to be good for your own mental health. So I said, the, these relationships made new is so inspirational and amazing. The other thing is some of my, um, my partners who have had to go walk the path of divorce, 
but they are, they create a new life for themselves and have, um, they, they've done their own work and they have restored relationships with children, with family members, and really just deeper relationships. As we talked about Thanos, or we talked about active listening and further being really engaged. And these people, I like to say, um, I sometimes make the analogy of snorkeling versus scuba diving. Hmm. And so, whereas some people go through their whole life snorkeling, that, that means like small talk, you know, just how are you doing? Good. You know, just like small talk. And then scuba diving is really going deep with, with people. And so let's say some of these partners are now they have just this um, newfound appreciation for all their friendships that are so deep and they, they can go scuba diving with those people and um, then have so much more um, just enjoyment and connection and depth in relationships. Yeah, that is amazing. Uh, Heidi, you are a wealth of knowledge and this is uh, really insightful. I really hope that this is going to build just a better understanding of what it is that happens on the other side for the guys that are listening. And I imagine some of these people are going to want to find out a little bit more about you and maybe even look into uh, seeing what you do. I know you're on mat leave right now, but I do believe by the time this interview is released, you will be practicing again. What are some Mm -hmm. ways that people can find out a little bit more about you? Yeah, so um, my website is novacounseling.com or my email is Heidi at novacounseling.com and um, Facebook. I definitely need to get that updated a little more, but um, Nova Counseling on Facebook as well. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, we'll put links to all that in the show notes. And you are licensed in Pennsylvania and Illinois, right? So for our listeners Mm -hmm. in those states, you guys can get insurance coverage. Um, But otherwise, I still think it would be totally worth it. Um, You're providing an incredible service and uh, and really just something that is becoming increasingly needed. So thanks for what you're doing. And thanks so much for taking some time today to interview here. Thank you so much. One um, quick thing on um, I am out of network. um, But I you can get reimbursement. So out of network reimbursements Ah. in those two states. And then also, um, I can do, I have women's groups and those can cross state lines. They're okay. um, less, it's more of the psychoeducation rather than therapy groups. And so um, those can cross state lines. So anybody can join those as well. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank, thanks again for your time, Heidi. It's been a real treat having you here. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being on the show. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it, guys. That was my interview with Heidi. And I hope you're able to keep your empathy hat on for the most part. I know, um, you know, obviously when you're on the side of like you're addicted and you're not necessarily a betrayed spouse, I'm sure some of those things you're probably like, oh, that's interesting or, you know, maybe not the easiest thing to, to comprehend. But I think she did a really good job of keeping it simple. And hopefully it just gives you an understanding of what is really going on the other side and what could be required for both of you guys to reunite and to really have a healthy marriage. This is not easy work, but man, is it ever rewarding. And I love what she said at the end, just like the vibrancy in the relationship, the restored connection and a new marriage, right? Like not, it's not about trying to revive what was old. It's about killing that all together and rebuilding something that is new, way stronger, way healthier and way more meaningful. So I highly recommend you go check her out, um, Nova Counseling Services, especially if you have a spouse that maybe is looking to get a bit more help that specializes in this area. Now, I did want to just mention um, one thing, and Heidi actually asked me if I would share this with you guys. Um, there was just one part that we didn't clarify, and so if you have a relapse, okay, let's say that your check-ins every Monday, all right, and you have a relapse on Tuesday, let's say it's the very next day. What Heidi recommends is that you share that, you disclose that relapse within 24 hours of it happening. You don't actually wait until the next Monday to share that. The the S part of Thanos, the sobriety piece, that is really meant to be more about how you're improving, the recovery work you're doing, that kind of stuff. It's not meant to be the place where like we just save all of the relapses for sharing in that one spot. So they um, she recommends a 24-hour period and she wants to make sure that that got across because... 
um, we didn't we we were a little bit confusing when we went through the interview there. So just want to make sure that came through. Um, and otherwise, guys, um, if you are maybe maybe this interview was a wake up call for you. You know, maybe you're like, wow, I didn't realize just um, what is required for healing, but I know I want to do it and I want to take care of my part. And you're looking for a little bit of assistance with that. This is literally what we specialize in. Um, we're, it's what we're all about. We help guys get to the root issues of their addictions. And I would love to be a part of that process if that's something you're interested in. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes to book a time in our calendar. It'll take you to a quick application and then you'll get a chance to um, to book a time, whatever works for you, and then we'll talk very soon. I have other people that take the calls in addition to myself, so you're not guaranteed to speak with me, but you will speak with somebody from our team who's qualified and somebody who's going to be able to get a good understanding of your situation to see if we can actually help you. There's nothing that we would love more than to sit down and chat with you. So link is in the show notes for everything. In the meantime, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you have an amazing day and we'll talk soon, okay? Bye-bye. Hey everybody, it's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast, and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.